Father, we do uh, come and uh, trust in that promise tonight that uh, building our life upon you is a solid foundation that is the only life worth living. And I pray that you would just continue to confirm that in our hearts tonight, that we would be encouraged, be reminded uh, that life with Jesus is as good as it gets uh, in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Do you mind if I go down here? Can you all still see me? It's usually not a problem since I'm so tall, but I just wanted to make sure. It was not meant to be funny. Uh, If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 tonight. Uh, We did this last year, uh, just took four Wednesday nights in June and uh, spent kind of some time together. We don't get to do something like this in this setting very often. We decided to do it again, and we're going to kind of do a similar thing we did last year. I don't want to scare you off right now. Uh, What we did last year, we did uh, four weeks on what is the mission of the church. Very much a what is question, not a how, but uh, just kind of understanding the mission. And then, do you remember what we did in July we went and knocked on doors, right? We uh, hit about 3,000 doors in a month, uh, which was incredible. Uh, let me just tell you what I think about door-to-door uh, outreach. Number one, I think it matters. I think it works. And I think even more subtly than that, God always blesses evangelistic effort, period. God blesses it. It's like giving. God blesses it. Uh, and so I believe God blesses those kind of things. And so we do it, and uh, letting people know that we're here, I think particularly going into the fall in which we're uh, looking at two services, this is a time to let people know that Jesus loves them and Prince Avenue is here for them. And so we're going to be doing that in July. Uh, so be prepared for that the week of the 4th. I don't think we're starting. I think we're starting the next Wednesday. We'll take a few weeks and uh, just get on some short pants and sweat to death and go out there and... And uh, it means more when you knock on somebody's door and it's 120 degrees out, right? You love them a little bit more when you do that. Maybe we should take popsicles or something, who knows. But anyway, uh, so that's kind of our our plan. But what we're going to do over the next few weeks here is we're not going to answer what questions as much as how questions. We're going to be a little bit more practical. And I I have to tell you, I do come to kind of these weeks with with a little bit of a burden on my heart. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but it it is possible to grow a church without reaching lost people. Do you know that? If if your preaching is is decent and your music is, is good and maybe, maybe you're just a little bit better than some of the other churches, it's possible to grow a church significantly without ever seeing anybody come to Christ. Uh, I'm afraid that could happen to us. Not that our preaching or music's better, I'm just saying, uh, you know, this is the new show in town, right? I've been here for uh, just about a year and a half, and it's possible for us to do that. And I I would say this, I think one of the things I've seen um, in my just pastoral experience is often before God really starts to bless a church, he does often bring faithful families, men and women uh, who for various reasons moved to the area, have been believers for a long time, coming from other churches, because he knows that when we grow, we're going to need some teachers and we're going to need some resources. I've seen that God does that and praise God. Praise God. I mean, God, I trust everyone that comes here has prayed about that and sought the Lord. So we're thankful for people who come to our church from different areas or uh, even sometimes if there's a good reason for them to come from other churches. But that's not the goal, right? The goal is not to see us double in size without seeing people come to Christ. We want to grow by seeing people come to Christ. Now, the other thing I've noticed is this, is it's also very easy for a church to want to see people saved but never share the gospel. 
Now, I, 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 I think there's a correlation between the amount of people that come to Christ. I, I don't have any scientific proof for this. But the amount of people that come to Christ and the amount of times the gospel is shared. I think that's a safe assumption. I don't have any proof, but I think that's true. And every place I've ever been, there's a lot of people who just long to see people come to Christ, but I'm never sure if those same people are telling people about Jesus. I, I thought about this today. I, I thought about a guy in my previous church who um, every, every week almost used to say, Pastor, we need to see more people baptized. We didn't see anybody baptized this morning. Just every time, we need to see more people baptized. But... I got to tell you, as I reflect back on that, having been in that church for almost 12 years, I don't remember, and there might have been one, but I don't remember anyone that was baptized because that guy led him to Christ. So I assume what he was thinking is, Pastor, you need to be leading more people to Jesus. Was he right? Absolutely. You're, I mean, your staff should be modeling for you what this means. I need to be leading people to Christ, and they need to be getting baptized because the pastor led them to Christ, and that has to happen. But listen, in order for us to see people saved, you know, you've got you've to share the gospel. You have got to be about this. And I just am really concerned at this moment in the life of our church when there's a little bit of excitement and uh, uh, things are happening uh, and the church is growing, that we not just be comfortable that it's growing this way, but understand that we really haven't been the church God has called us to be unless we're individually calling people to come to Christ. I want you to get that in your heart, uh, that this is, this is not my mission, this is our mission. Our mission is to lead people to trust and follow Christ, which means you and I both need to be leading people to trust and follow Christ. And so what we're going to talk about over the next four weeks is really kind of a practical way in which to do that. Now, what I'm not doing is this. I'm not giving you a program of evangelism. Uh, I'm really giving you more of a lifestyle of what would it look like to be living in a way uh, that is, is missional. Uh, and I think that's, that's really what needs to happen. I think I, I appreciate and think it's still valid and probably needs to be done a lot more. Uh, evangelism training, everybody go out on Tuesday night and go share the gospel. I mean, that's essentially what we're doing in, in July. At the same time, we've got to be careful not to make evangelism just an event and make it more of something that we're just consistently about, that it's on our mind, that when we see people, we're thinking, wait a minute, that's someone lost and going to hell, and I need to be involved in that process. So there's four different things that we're going to talk about tonight, and I was going to write them here, but I don't have a marker, so I'm going to tell you them. That was a great idea, until we didn't have a marker. All right, here you are. I mean, there's four of them, all right? If you want to write these down, these are our four weeks. I'm going to talk about the first one tonight. Four weeks. Uh, the, that's okay. I'm, Mandy, that's okay. I'm already going. It's fine. Yeah. It's, my handwriting's awful anyway. I just... I wanted to feel a little professory. I was, I was even going to wear my glasses tonight. But uh, All right. Living among. That's number one. Just write that down. Living among. I'm going to talk about that tonight. Living among. The second one is distinct from. Living among. Distinct from. The third one is interceding for. Interceding for. So living among. Distinct from. Interceding for. And declaring to. Living among, distinct from, interceding for, and declaring to. So what we're going to talk about over the next four weeks is what it looks like to live among lost people. I mean, like actually be living life where they're a part of our lives. We're actively seeking out people to live life with that are unbelievers. And then in the midst of that, being distinct from them. So while we're around them, they're noticing something different about us, while at the same time, we're burdened for them and we're interceding for them. So we're interceding for them, and then at some point, having to declare the gospel to them, because no one's ever going to get saved by watching you. We know that, right? 
So um, no one, none of you are good enough. None of us are good enough for someone to just get saved by what they have to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, just living among, distinct from, interceding for, and declaring to. So those are the four things we're going to do. The first one I want to talk about is, is living among. What does it look like to live among the lost? And I want to do that uh, from John. I'm going to read John 1 through 5, 1, 1 through 5, but really focus on that familiar verse 14. Look at what it says in those first four verses. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, that is one of the most important passages we have about who Jesus is. Uh, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, probably the three most important texts uh, about the divinity, the authority of Jesus Christ. And there's so much that is established in those four verses. It tells us that Jesus is divine because the word is a reference to Jesus. He was divine. He is God. Uh, it tells us that he's eternal. He was with God in the beginning. It tells us that he's the creator of all things. There is nothing that was made without him. All things were made through him. And it tells us he's the sustainer of all things. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And so all of this is stated to us about Jesus. This is really significant theological stuff that Jesus Christ is eternal. He is divine. He is the creator and sustainer of the world. This is why Jesus matters. This is why Jesus matters to everyone. It's because everyone is going to answer to him at some point. But the significance there, it says that in the beginning was the word. It's just interesting that that's the way that John chooses to describe Jesus. No one does this better than John. He gives us all of these little word pictures of Jesus. Uh, and uh, all throughout, particularly when you get into chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, all throughout there, all of these words to describe Jesus. But he begins with this one, that Jesus is, in fact, he's the word of God. And there's two things he means by that. He means, first of all, that Jesus is the declaration of God, like an actual physical word. That words communicate something, and they're declaring something. So Jesus is declaring something from God. He has come to declare who God is. He is the word. He's come to tell us the truth about God. Matter of fact, Hebrews 1 says, God has spoken to us in many ways, in many times, but now he speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the word. He is the speech of God. And so when you listen to Jesus speak, it's God speaking. Everything Jesus says is the word of God. But it's not just the idea of declaring. I think that's obvious. It's also the idea of, of displaying. The word does display God. He shows us the character of God. Uh, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, look at that. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, but look at this, he has made him known. Jesus has made the invisible God visible. Not only by the way in which he lived, but the things in which he said, he is displaying God himself. That in Jesus, the incomprehensible, which is really chapter 1, verse 18, is becoming comprehensible. The unexplainable is becoming a bit more explainable. The invisible is becoming visible. If you've ever wondered what God is like, you look at Jesus and you see God. He is God in the flesh. That's why verse 14 is so important. And the word became flesh. Look at that. The word became flesh. And the reason it says the word became flesh is because it's already established in the first five verses that the word has always existed. But in this moment, the word has become flesh. And I love how Matthew and uh, Luke 
begin, not Mark, but Matthew and Luke begin with, with Jesus in his physical birth and the background behind that uh, and with Mary and Joseph and all the things surrounding that, fulfilling a lot of prophecies in Matthew and those type of things. John begins in eternity past and said the word that has always existed, the word that spoke all of creation into existence, that word through which everything exists and everything continue to exist, that word now took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What an unbelievable thought. And it's more unbelievable when you remember what happened in those first few verses, that this is the eternal, creating, sustainer, divine God of all of the universe. And the one who spoke everything to existence now comes into existence and takes upon himself human flesh. And when it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, you've heard this before, uh, but the translation of that really is that he has come to, to tabernacle among us, to tabernacle among us, which reminds me, there's only two weeks left to give to the building fund. To, tell you. <laughs> to tabernacle among us. It's a great word picture when you understand the Old Testament because the tabernacle was the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. That's where, that's where God dwelt, and uh, God put his spirit, his presence inside the tabernacle. It was a place for the people to come meet with God. So it tells us in Exodus 25, uh, in the building of the tabernacle, which was one of the key passages uh, that the Lord gave me, and even naming this new uh, building out here, that the Lord says, I will dwell among them. And they built the tabernacle for that purpose. He says, I will continue to go among them. That's why the tabernacle was not a permanent dwelling. It was a, it was a moving uh, structure, the tent of meeting, because where they went, so was the presence of God going to go. So you have this whole idea in the Old Testament that the presence of God was, was there in the tabernacle. And in order to meet with God, you would go to that place. And in that place would be the presence of God. So I want you to think about kind of uh, the... Uh, logical flow of this and kind of what's happening, and you'll see how this pertains to us. So here's God creating a tabernacle and putting his spirit there and his presence there. And people wanted to meet with God, they went to the tabernacle and they met with God and his presence was there and it was, it was felt there. It was his, his manifest presence. This is another reason we know there's a difference, as I talk about all the time, between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. The omnipresence of God was everywhere, right? Even in the wilderness, the omnipresence of God was there. But there's something different that God wants us to experience. He wants us to know his manifest presence. He wants us to experience the felt presence of God, that we know that God is in our midst. And the tabernacle had that. The manifest presence of God. So the next step is this. That, that presence, which used to dwell in that tabernacle, is now dwelling in Christ. Christ is now that tabernacle. That the very presence of God in its fullness, this is Ephesians 3, 19, in its fullness is, is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fullness of God. All of the fullness of the Spirit of God is dwelling in Jesus as a matter of fact, I, I love that word picture in Ephesians 3.19 where Paul prays that we would be filled to the fullness of God. You know what I think the picture is there? Is that Jesus is a man filled with the fullness of God. All of the Spirit of God is in him. There's none of the, none of the sinful flesh. It's all the, the fullness of the Spirit of God is in him. What Paul prays in Ephesians 3.19 is that we would be that filled. I always think about those fundraising little thermometers, you know. You know, and you see how, how, how full you are. And uh, I kind of think about that as the Spirit of God. That uh, if you've got one of those and it's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 percent, 
you know, I wonder what level we're at most of the time when it comes of how much of this is filled with the Spirit of God. What you have with Jesus is all the way to the top, just, just full of the Spirit of God. Paul prays that the Ephesians would experience that. But what John is saying here is that now Jesus has come to tabernacle among us, that God is dwelling in Christ, and that's why it says, and he displays in verse 14, his glory. We have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the reason this had to happen is because Jesus' mission, listen to this carefully, Jesus' mission demanded this. The mission of Jesus demanded that he come in the flesh. Not only so that we might know him, and not only so we might hear from him, and not only that we might see him, that the invisible might become visible, but so that he might accomplish for us uh, the ultimate sacrifice, that he might take upon himself our sin because he came in our likeness, that he might die in our place. Jesus could not have accomplished his mission without being fully God and fully man. He could not have been the perfect sacrifice without being fully God. He could not have been our sacrifice without being fully man. So the one who is fully God and fully man has come and he is tabernacling, dwelling among us. God's mission in Jesus could not have been fulfilled with the Old Testament tabernacle. It wasn't enough. It's the reason Jesus had to come. The mission demanded God in the flesh, identifying with us, living among us, understanding us, this is whole, the whole hope that we have that God, uh, that Jesus who intercedes for us understands what it's like to be tempted like we are. Why? Because he was. He understands the pain of loss. He understands frailty. All of these things he understands because he took it upon himself. And so it is that he came to dwell among us, to make God known, and by doing that to make a way to God. Now, here's what I want you to think about. John 20, 21 says this. It's one of the five great commission passages. You've got Matthew 28. Uh, you've got uh, Luke 24. Matthew, you've got Mark uh, 16. You've got Luke 24. Uh, you've got John 20, 21 and Acts 1, 8. Five great commission passages. John 20, 21 is unlike any of the others. And I think it's unlike any of the others because the Gospel of John is unlike any of the others. The Gospel of John begins with the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And then all throughout John, more than any place, you have this emphasis on the Spirit of God. Jesus says in John 14, I'm going to leave and it's better for you because the Spirit is going to come upon you. And 14, 15, 16, 17 is all about Jesus leaving, the Spirit coming down. And then in John 20, 21, Jesus says this, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So let's think about what that means. So Acts chapter 1, Jesus uh, commands them to wait. Don't go anywhere until you get the Spirit of God upon you. And then in chapter 2, the Spirit of God comes. And uh, the reason you have the tongues of fire and all of that is because it was evidence that the Spirit had come upon them. They needed to know that the Spirit had come upon them in that moment. And so they did. And now all of a sudden, the Spirit of God, which, listen, follow this, which dwelt in the tabernacle, and then which dwelt in Jesus, is now dwelling in us. That what they needed in the Old Testament as they were traveling through is God's presence with them as they traveled through, but it wasn't enough. And, and so Jesus came and the fullness of the presence of God, and this is what you see in the baptism of Jesus, descending upon him, Jesus, the very tabernacle of God, and then Jesus leaves and he says, it's better that I leave. Why is it better that he leaves? 
Because when he leaves, that same spirit that came upon Jesus now indwells us so that we are now the tabernacles, the temples of God. So Jesus says, as the Father sent me, an incarnational declaration and display of God himself, so I'm sending you. That's an amazing thought. That God's plan has always been, since Christ, That he would fill you with the same spirit Jesus got. So that you might be full of grace and truth. John 1.14. So that you might display his glory. So that your life might declare and display him. How is that possible? Because the same spirit that lived in Jesus and that lived in the tabernacle is now tabernacling in you. It is living in you. But listen. The only way for for it to be possible for that to work is if you're living among them. Jesus had to come live among us in order for this to work. We had to be around him to see this. So if anyone is going to be affected by the Spirit of God living in you, you've got to be around them. Doesn't that just make logical sense? It has always been God's desire to manifest himself through his people. But it's different now. You see, because in the Old Testament, everyone was coming to the place in which the Spirit of God dwelt. Everyone had to come. Come and see was the whole Old Testament model. Come and see, come and see, come and see. The New Testament model displayed for us in Jesus, as the Father sent me, so I send you, is the opposite of that. It is go and show. But I think if we're honest, we want our evangelism strategy to still be come and see. Come to church and see. Come and see, come and see. Now, I'll tell you this. I think there's something still to that. In the sense of when a lost person comes into our midst and the word is being preached, the music is exalting Christ, the fellowship is good, and there's a sense of the spirit there, that's really good for an unbeliever to experience, right? So I I am going to continue to pressure you to invite people to church. I think it's good. I think we still live in a day, a location, a time in which people will come to church if you invite them. It's my experience People will come, even if out of obligation, praise God, who cares, right? If you ask enough times, they're just going to feel bad enough, and they're going to come, right? And you can still say, come see our new preacher. You can't say it much longer, but you can maybe still say that. But that's really not the ultimate strategy. And I think that's what we're banking on. I think we're hoping that if enough people just kind of randomly show up here and the pastor preaches the gospel, then people are going to get saved and we're going to grow. That is never the way it's intended to work. As the Father sent me, So I send you. So God has said, here's my evangelism strategy. I'm going to fill you with the Spirit. And I'm going to allow you to display grace and truth. And then I'm going to send you out among the people who are never going to come and see. And as you live among them, they're going to experience a little bit of that grace and a little bit of that truth and a little bit of that glory of God. But the mission has to begin with the living among the lost. It just makes logical sense. That there has to be context, listen, not just at work, but intentional times in which you are around lost people with this thought in your mind. I'm around them so that they might experience some of the Spirit of God from me. Which, by the way, demands that we be filled with the Spirit of God. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Let me give you one last thought. Uh, When I graduated from college, um, I wish I could say this is super spiritual. A girl had broken my heart, and I got invited to go move overseas to be a missionary, so I took it. And uh, it was a little more spiritual than that. No, I had the summer after my uh, junior year of college, 
I went overseas uh, for about three weeks. The missionary there wrote me a handwritten letter because there was an email at that point. And uh, I got this email right about Christmas time of my senior year. And he said, I just can't stop thinking about you and the way God used you here. I'd love for you to come and move back. And my dad was really committed for me to go directly to seminary. But I felt like I needed to go, so I went for two and a half years. And as I was preparing for that, God brought me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, if you want to turn there, you can. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This became kind of my, my theme as I was there. It says in verse 19, well, let me start. I'll start in verse, uh, I want to read the whole chapter. I'll start in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Why? Because you're now the tabernacle of God. God's spirit is coming to live inside of you, which makes you new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is progressive, obviously. Uh, the spirit comes inside of you, and you are becoming moment by moment uh, renewed. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, here it is, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusted to us, and has trusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And here's the verse that the Lord gave me before I left. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So two, two thoughts from verse 20. First of all, the idea of we are ambassadors for Christ. You can't be an ambassador for a distance. <laughs> You're not an ambassador for a distance. To be an ambassador, you go to a place in order to be a representative of Christ. So the mission that he's been given us is that you go into a context specifically for the purpose of being an ambassador for Christ. I'm going to intentionally find a way to get around lost people because I'm an ambassador for Christ. But I love the next line. Because it is through us that Christ is making his appeal. How does Christ make his appeal? He makes it through us. We are the ones making an appeal for Christ. And so the way in which Christ makes his appeal to the lost is through his ambassadors who have gone to be among the lost and to make Christ look appealing. That's how this works. I just think it's a different way of thinking about the purpose of our lives is that every one of you have become a tabernacle of the Spirit of God for this purpose, that you might dwell among the lost, displaying his grace and truth. So I'm going to say that this is really step one. Seeing yourself this way and then putting yourself consistently in contexts in which uh, you're around lost people for this purpose. I was convicted as I was preparing this today uh, because I was thinking about the fact that um, Andrew and I trying to just have, uh, you know, open up our home a little bit more and uh, have some people in to eat. And I just thought about today how it's interesting how we'll invite someone from the church to come over and eat. And yet we have about four or five neighbors who know nothing about Jesus. And uh, I was convicted today in this, that, that if we're going to lead these people to Christ, we need to start by living among them. It's good for me to knock on our door, and we need to do it, and we're going to do it. It's, it's almost even better to come and say, hey, come and, and be among us. I, I hope that by coming into our chaos with five children, they would still love Jesus. I think they would. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll love Jesus, but 
probably want to go home <laughs> after dinner. Uh, no, and I just think there's something to that. What, what is that? Because if God has put the Spirit in me, where are they around the Spirit of God? Where is my neighbor around the Spirit of God, the manifest presence of God, when they come in contact with a believer who's the tabernacle of God? That's what that looks like. So here's what I want us to do to close. We're going to be done here in about five minutes. I want you uh, to turn to someone around you, if you can, if you've got someone around you. And I want you to do two things. I want you to do, first of all, I don't want you to small talk, if you don't mind. I would love for you to just mention if God is laying some people on your heart or some, some specific ways in which you can do this, um, how is it that you can be more intentional to be living among lost people so that they might experience the Spirit, uh, experience the Spirit of God from you? So I want you to talk about that just for a few minutes. And then I immediately just want you to pray, if you would. So, Lord, here's what I've thought. Uh, like, my practical application was, and I'm going to go over to Andrew here in a minute. My application was, I, I feel like we need to be having more lost people in our home and then pray about that. Does that make sense? And then I'll come up and close this in a few minutes. It'll take about five minutes to do that, okay? Turn to someone around you, do that, and then I'll dismiss this in just a minute. I'm going to close this in prayer here. Father, we uh, do thank you for the moments that you've given us together. And um, I, know we, I know we like to be together. I know we, we like preaching and we love to sing. But I pray that this would be uh, helpful to us, that we would put these things into practice, that we would go uh, tomorrow and think about uh, the unbelievable thought that the very Spirit of God is coming to dwell in us, that we might display Christ. It's incredible. I pray that we would make the most of that. And Father, we, uh, I just, I just want to pray for just your blessing upon the marriages in this room, uh, the families, uh, the children represented here, uh, the singles, uh, all of the places uh, that we touch and have the opportunity to minister to. God, would you allow us uh, to leave from this place every single week and go out and just be the people you've called us to be, that our church would grow. We, we unashamedly want you to grow our church because we want the kingdom to grow. We want to see people come to Christ. But I pray that you would help us to lead a lot of people to Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you all know my buddy Josie? This is Josie. She's my third daughter. She looks the most like me. She's my buddy. Her name is Josephine Joy. And uh, I always tell Josie, she's really mad at me right now. <laughs> Josie's a joy giver. She just makes people happy. She's just sweet. Looks like me, but acts like her mom. It's great. <laughs> I love y'all. It's been fun to be together. We'll see you next week. See you Sunday.